way I define education is when you discover something and then it provides you more freedom than anything else. And so I, I found this, the whole experience of, of delving deeper into what finances are really hit a chord with me. And, and um, especially, and, and the weird thing is tied back to my work in nonprofit world is that I couldn't quite put my finger on what the issues are for some people who are facing poverty. And finances is that, that number one issue. But when it comes to finances, we all need to be comfortable with it and we all need to be able to match it up to who we are as individuals, as families, as a community. Because if there is a disagreement in regards to your values and your finances, then it's going to show up in other ways. This is the Personal Finance Show. Hi, I'm Bo Humphreys, and this is The Personal Finance Show. Mr. Prairie Fire wants you to discover something about yourself by knowing your finances. Mr. Prairie Fire, let's call him Fred, is an anonymous financial independence retire early, also known as the FIRE movement, F-I-R-E, blogger in the prairies of Western Canada at prairiefirecanada.com. Fred calls his discovery of the FIRE movement his financial enlightenment. After surviving three large financial crises in a very short time period, he was determined to take control of his finances. Specifically, Fred was drawn to the FIRE movement and the freedom that financial independence promises. Fred joined me from somewhere in Saskatchewan to tell his personal finance story. Yeah, well, I guess when it comes to, to money and really understanding money was probably when I encountered my first job, just understanding the ins and outs of life. When I was in university, I was lucky enough that my, my parents were able to pay for my school. So that was quite some time ago in the 90s. And so when you get that first job, it's always a challenge to be able to meet your obligations and budget. And unfortunately, they didn't have budgeting 101 classes in university. So I sort of learned on my own. My parents still instilled in me the, the ability to save. But I think for me, going into the real world and understanding how money affects your life was probably my first encounter when I when I got my first real job. And that was in the, in the nonprofit world. That was actually an interesting experience as well, where I worked in nonprofit organizations, helping those who are in poverty. And so realizing the importance of money, how it can impact your life if you have it and when you don't, and seeing the impacts directly through my work was actually really influential for to make me more of a saver than a spender. That's interesting because you're, you're learning about money for the first time, but you're also seeing people who don't have a lot of it and maybe they also don't know anything about money either. I think, they, yeah, for them, it's the, it's the challenge of doing the day-to-day, especially if you don't have much of it. Yeah. Um, it becomes even more important, right? So school was paid for completely, and you really mm-hmm. didn't have any expenses, like, up until this point where, well, okay, what, what province are we talking about here? So it's Saskatchewan. So you, you're, you're in Saskatchewan. You went to school there too? Yeah, I went to school at the University of Saskatchewan in Saskatoon and just stayed there and, and started work right away. 
Nice. So what was your uh, degree in? Uh, my undergrad was in sociology and psychology, so real practical degrees <laughs> when you go into the real world. Yeah, for human being, beings, but like not, not jobs, not specific jobs, I guess. Yeah, not from a tactical perspective. You know? <laughs> but very, very useful in any job. I think so. It gave me a really interesting perspective of how people think and work, but also how larger systems work when it comes to even finances, how where money comes from, where the jobs are at, how to help people to navigate even working with, with government and stuff like that. It's it was it's been useful my entire life mm. and has has allowed me to think beyond just the simple day to day. And I love thinking like strategically and broadly. So I was I was a geek that way and still am. Yeah, yeah. So so you come out of university with this Sociology, psychology. You said undergrad. Does that mean you continued in school? Yeah, a few years later when I was, uh, I, I t- started taking on more and more responsibilities. I had overseen uh, affordable housing projects when it comes to um, rental projects and also housing co-ops. And I just felt like I didn't have that business acumen and the ability to to look in regards to, you know, budgeting from a strategic perspective. So I decided to apply for, for an MBA and, and got that in 2010 was when I, when I finished. Well, that's awesome. So, okay, so let's step back then. You, you're coming out with sociology and psychology. You're applying for jobs. And did you know that you wanted to be uh, like working? So it was like, can you describe again what it was, low-income housing? Yeah, so I worked for a nonprofit organization that provided affordable housing for low-income families. How did you get into that? Was it just applying to a bunch of different jobs? Just applying to jobs. Um, I had a real heart in regards to helping people, so the nonprofit world was quite appealing. Sure. And uh, to be totally honest, it was someone took a chance on me. They said, you know, this guy has potential. He's passionate. And so they brought me under their wing. And then they said, the great thing about working in the nonprofit world is that they don't care if you have a degree. They'll mm. throw you anything. And if you jump into it and do it well, then that's what you do. Well, that's great. They just want someone who is passionate about helping. And that was you. Okay. So you get in there and you say you're learning about being on your own. So you, you ended up getting a place of your own somewhere or, or did you have a place already? Like were you in residence at university or? So I was living on my own um, when I did apply for the job. And so, you know, I had the regular expenses, rent, food, transportation, but I lived a pretty simple life, which I found very valuable because like I said, I wasn't very much of a spender. So I was already in the mentality of, of saving my income, but I just didn't know what to do with it, right? It just sat there. So you, you were able to say, so you're frugal already, so you're able to put some money away, but it was just sitting maybe just in a regular, what, checking account or savings account? Yeah, yeah, like a low-interest bearing uh, savings account and and didn't really have an idea of investing or where to put money. And, and so, you know, for a long time, I mentioned this on my on my site is that, uh, you know, that was one of my big mistakes is that I was able to save this money, but I wasn't able, I wasn't invested in any way. We don't have to fast forward, but how many years of investing or productivity do you think you missed out on? Oh, I'd say at least probably eight or nine years. And this was probably between the years of 2006 to 2013, 14. Really that so many? That was yeah, it was, it was it was a decent amount of time. I did have some RSP contributions that I was making through, a, I guess, financial advisor, but that wasn't optimized either. So I, I had some regular contributions that I put into the market, but my savings rate was much higher than what my RSP contributions were. 
Yeah, and and is this because you know your parents they taught you to be frugal, they taught you to save, obviously, and that's all you knew. That's all I knew. I just knew I had to save. I just didn't know what to do. And that's not bad. It's not like it's not a bad thing, you know, saving versus spending. That's that's kind of the starting point, right? Like let's make sure mm-hmm. we're there and then then let's have more conversations about what to do with it. But was it the lack of resources or, or was it your lack of curiosity or what do you think it was that stopped you from finding out what to do? I think it was mostly the lack of resources and information. It's a pretty intimidating topic specifically because people, the financial industry makes it complicated and there's this barrier to entry to understand even what money is and what it can do versus just like your day-to-day spending. So for me, even though I was frugal, I wasn't necessarily delving into investing because I thought, oh, that's just for the experts and I'm not going to go there and I'm just going to live my life and and, and just move forward and and focus on other things. Yeah, you got to be like a stock trader or or someone who uh, you know looks at the the Globe and Mail business section every day, right? Yeah, exactly. But you did end up getting your MBA. Did that kind of push <laughs> you towards any personal finance knowledge? I found it very useful to understand how the finance world works, mm-hmm. um, specifically the the stock market, what it means in context of how people are seeing the value of a particular company. And so that sort of spurned my idea of looking beyond just my day to day and understanding like from a, you know, that big thinking perspective that there's all this going on and the ability to invest in this activity and how the general economy is constantly improving and productivity is going up. And I'm not necessarily benefiting from that productivity is very passive. So I had to see I decided to go down that road a little bit. So at the same time, you know, trying to finish my MBA and and just understanding where that all lies. So it's it quite useful from an educational perspective. Yeah. So what was your first step in sort of stepping out of the, uh, you know, pure saving other than the, uh, the RSP stuff that you had going on on the side? What, what was the, one of the first things you did? I think one of the first things I did is when I got a steady job after my MBA and basically putting my money into uh, a pension savings plan, right? So I was able to work as a as a policy analyst um, with the provincial government okay. and making sure I was maxing that out because they were matching it, right? Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's an automatic win in regards to you're, you're instantly doubling your your investment, which, you know, that's incredibly hard to find in the market. So that was one of my major moves to, to make sure I was making maxing out those contributions. And then when it came to the performance of my RSP, just sitting down with a financial advisor and getting more in-depth of understanding my risk appetite and being able to invest accordingly. I started out quite conservative, but as I got more confident, I was willing to delve deeper and, and take a bit more risk. Um, given that they had a longer time horizon than someone who is maybe in their you know fifties or sixties. Mm-hmm. That's usually recommended if you have thirty to forty years. Just there's no issue with putting it in in a, a highly volatile uh, section of the market or a balanced fund that is more volatile than others because the volatility it all really kind of evens itself out over those decades. So when you looked at your RS existing RSP situation. Did you find that you just had it invested in something you maybe didn't know about or want to uh, invest in? At first, I, I tried to think of like the the type of areas that I thought would be beneficial. So a lot of them were, were tied up in mutual funds. Yeah. And so I think my real, what I like to call my financial enlightenment 
happened as a result of maybe some financial shocks that really hit my life. So, you know, when you're, when you're busy in life during this time, I, I got married, we bought a home together, myself and my wife, and we had our first child in a rather short amount of time. So all that takes up all your, your bandwidth, right? Yeah. And so for me, my story is really about taking on some, some major financial difficulties that we faced as a family. So we had bought our dream home and we were super happy about it. And then, uh, you know, sort of a nightmare scenario where we had to replace our entire roof within the first year. Oh, wow. Right. And so that was, that was devastating in the sense that we weren't really prepared to drop between fifteen and $18,000 right on the spot. So we had to, you know, rally and, and do our due diligence to find financing to get that done. And that was probably the biggest debt I've ever taken other than the mortgage. And the job that I'm in right now, I'm in my dream job. I'm doing great work, but you know, you get sometimes with companies, they restructure and then I was lucky to keep my job, but I found out I was getting a, you know, 9% pay cut. Oh no. So that hit us financially as well. And then the third one is that uh, I, I uh, own some investment uh, rental property with my dad and we oversee a lot of the, the activities on uh, my dad is very passive in that sense. And then, you know, we had the major rainstorm in, in Saskatchewan and there was some flooding. And so we had to find money for that as well. And that was about a like $10,000 hit to us. So just like that, I had a pay cut, $25,000 in debt in less than a year. And so, um, super stressed. And that's sort of my, my journey where I said, you know, I need to better understand what's going on from a financial perspective for us personally and getting our financial house in order, but also just being able to educate myself. And, and, um, as a result, I, I just put in Google financial independence and okay. I just delved into this weird and wonderful world of financial independence and retire early community. And, and I was hooked and that's where I feel like my education really started, right? And the way I define education is when you discover something and then it provides you more freedom than anything else. And so I, I found this, the whole experience of, of delving deeper into what finances are really hit a chord with me. And, and um, especially, and, and the weird thing is tied back to my work in nonprofit world is that I couldn't quite put my finger on what the issues are for some people who are facing poverty and finances is that that number one issue. Yeah, that's, that's sort of background of where my education really started and understanding all the different aspects to it. Yeah, so you you said financial independence retire early, which is also known as FIRE, and that's mm-hmm. the the title of your your site. It's Prairie Fire, right? Yeah, it's Prairie Fire Canada. Prairie Fire Canada. Uh, what what's the website? Yeah. It's a little premature, so but, Prairie... but but we'll, we'll mention it now. Uh, PrairieFireCanada.com. Yeah, so yeah, that's where you that's where you hang out, and you're Mister Prairie Fire. Yeah, and uh, I, you know, I, I started that in February of 2018, so still relatively new to the to the blogging game. But it's just a sort of a, a little bit of a diary and insights of my journey and my education, and um, just just you know discovering things and just letting other people come along with me on my journey to to discovering financial independence. You know, a lot of people might uh, have done what you did and go to the go to Google and figure out you know, financial independence or just like how to take care of my money, but not everyone would, would uh, land on the fire movement. What, what specifically drew you to that? Cause it's a, it's sort of a specific, well, specific, but with various permutations, but it, you know, the idea is to try to gain financial independence as early as you can. Correct. Yeah. Like I think even though it was a little bit by accident, I think what really attracted me was the whole idea of, 
frugalness, which where I was already at, and the ability to understand why to be frugal, right? Mm. Some people are frugal because it's just a habit and how they're brought up. But similar to what happened to me is I didn't know the reason why, what motivated you other than seeing your, your bank account grow is, is a great feeling for some, but there is no intrinsic value or something that drives you. And so what appealed for the fire movement specifically was it was about freedom. Mm-hmm. It was about being able to have more control and not feel like you're a victim to the circumstances that happened to you. For example, those three financial shocks I felt, that really kicked me in the head and being able to be like, I, I feel like I'm I'm not in control and, and my freedom is at risk because the more debt you get into, that means the money that you're earning and working hard for is going to someone else. And that is that does not sit well with me and I'm sure it doesn't sit well with most people to know that you're working for someone else other than yourself. Yeah, it doesn't sit well with me. That's why I don't do that anymore. No. But but it doesn't provide as steady a paycheck. Yeah, like I think for me it's it's um like I still work regular nine to five sort of job, but when I when I looked at where my money was going to, it was going towards debt instead of the goals that I had for myself and my family. Interesting. Right? And so being able to understand what's going on there uh, and putting it in the light of the, the financial independence retire early movement, I was able to say to myself, I want to join this movement specifically for myself and my family because it really matched who I was and my values, but also the ability to have more freedom as I go along, right? So I'm still getting my financial house in order, but for the purpose of freedom, not just because it's so I can I can start being frugal again, but rather being more missional and, and, and perspective. Yeah, it's hard for a lot of people to save without any kind of motivation. And, and uh, the, I guess the question I have is, how would you do you have in your mind a scenario if you have you replayed it? How would you have handled this year of, of financial trouble differently if you would have been more knowledgeable before? Is there or did you just have to go through this? Um, in retrospective, I think it's something that I had to go through. Mm-hmm. I think that's basically how humans work, to be totally honest. Sometimes something bad has to happen in order to change your perspective because there's so many things that are trying to get your attention Hmm. that sometimes when a bad thing happens, it it makes you focus. And and fortunately, I was able to to stumble onto this particular um, movement. And so that's sort of what inspired me to start the the website as well, is that hopefully someone else stumbles onto this, because what I was discovering is that so many people are facing this situation, and the stats are staggering, where 50% of Canadians are worried about where their money is going. The latest news is showing that people can't handle uh, an emergency of, you know, $400 or more. And so they're also tackling these issues on their own. And 50% are, are not talking about it with their friends or family or anyone around them. So there's, it's especially lonely for folks who are living in the prairies where we're a bit more spread out and isolated, but we don't necessarily talk about these things. And so, you know, the reason I started this site is that I started talking openly with other people in my community and my workplace, and they just kept asking questions. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to start a site. And hopefully, you know, the people who are interested that are in my community can read it, but someone else can stumble onto it and, and gain something out of the my own experience. Yeah, that's that's really great because, as you said, people don't talk about it. Do you have uh, any insight from, from what people have mentioned to you, you know, in terms of asking you questions? Why is it that we don't talk about money as much as we could? 
for some people, it's a hard topic, especially if they're going through difficulties. There's, there's always that um, persona that you want to put forward that you have your stuff together, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, their questions are, are more about wanting to know more about my situation because I feel like the more they hear about it, me not having my stuff together, they're like, oh, okay, it's like I'm not the only one. Um, this is especially true for younger people who are just starting out. I find when I have conversations with people who are just coming out of university or just starting their career, they're just hungry. They're so hungry for the information, but they want it in a format that, that speaks to them. And so just having that dialogue in person is actually quite impactful because it frees them up from feeling uncomfortable. And I'm finding they're now talking with other people about finances and not being afraid to talk about it. And when that happens, that that's a game changer for us as as um, as Canadians, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I like your idea of that. Maybe you couldn't have prevented what happened to you, but you can try to prevent it from happening to someone else with knowledge mm-hmm. and discussion. I think that's essential. We're all going to have financial struggles. That's that's inevitable. Mm-hmm. But being prepared is pretty much the, the allows you to be free from debt. For me, no one really talked to me about having an emergency savings fund. Yeah, right? that's um, you know I had I was saving like crazy into my RSP. Had a little bit of savings for you know if I wanted to get a new vehicle or whatnot, but. You know, those those big things where you may lose your job and having so many amounts of savings, that's something that was never told to me ahead of time. And if I knew at an early stage, oh, man, it would be it'd be a very different story. I feel like uh, I talk about it so much <laughs> now, but maybe it falls on deaf ears a lot. Sometimes, do you think you were always ready to hear it? Or was there a certain time in your life when you were like, okay, now I'm ready, but I'm not hearing it? Um, I think it, for me, repetition's key. Yeah. Right? Okay. So just hearing hearing it one time sort of washes over you, right? Like people throw numbers at you. You know, for example, yeah. you know, getting the twenty five times your 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 annual expenses. I'm like, what does that even mean? Right? Yeah. Well, um, that's a fire thing, right? <laughs> You know, from from a fire perspective, like you'll hear that and be like, "What in the world are you talking about?" And I get, I would get some of those uh, sort of comments. I get the side eye, just be like, "What are you talking about?" But I think if it's put in a story and a narrative mm-hmm. instead of just numbers, people can can glob onto those type of things, and and that repetitive sort of exposure to it um, will will allow people to be more comfortable. And then when they are ready, then it'll hit them even deeper, right? So you have to be ready, but I think there also has to be a larger, constant story of people talking about these type of things. Yeah, let's keep telling stories. You know, that's what this podcast is about. Then eventually, you know, people will start listening. Maybe they don't even think that any of it applies to them, but but one day it might, and we'll, we will have been out there spreading the word as, as exactly. long as we can. Yeah. So you said the 25 times your, your expenses. Maybe if you could give everyone a, just a brief description of what the FIRE movement is all about and maybe if you have a specific spin on it yourself. I think with the, with the FIRE movement, it's, it's a, sort of a, a sub-niche or personal finance, and they really focus on the ability to save. So frugalness is key. 
And so they, I think the most common word that they use is creating the gap between how much money you make, your income, mm. and the expenses that you have. So creating a larger gap. So either increasing your income, uh, but also perhaps reducing your expenses. And at the same time, using that gap, so that's the savings rate, um, it could vary from 10% to, to 80%, uh, depending on your situation. But using that, using your savings to purchase cash flowing or appreciating assets, right? So those could be stocks, bonds, um, usually in, in the stock market. I personally delve into more of index assets. So either um, ETFs or exchange traded funds or some, um, some actual mutual funds that follow a particular index, but, but actually building your portfolio, right? And your portfolio should reach a certain size where you can actually declare financial independence. And so that your portfolio, depending on what that number is for you, um, people usually say your portfolio has to be 25 times your annual expenses for that. And so the FIRE movement uses that principle to identify when you're financially independent and hopefully grow so much that you may have the opportunity to decide whether you want to keep working or not, where you understand your portfolio is making enough money per year to cover your expenses that you don't have to worry about money at that point. And the 25 times, is that because, like, let's say a lot of the number for a lot of people is a million dollars, right? Um, mm -hmm. So is that like the 4% rule in that a million dollars at 4% will generate 40,000 if that happens to be your expenses? Yeah, exactly. And so you, you have to understand your budget. You have to, like, mm -hmm. that's key in your first step. And once you have a good idea of your budget, um, I call it getting your financial house in order, then you can start thinking about creating that, that gap, but also how big your portfolio needs to be. So for your example, 4% um, and a million is, is, is 40,000. And if that's your number, then, you know, theoretically, and this is based on what we call the 4% the withdrawal rate, mm -hmm. where people can take away 4% of the size of their portfolio, but their portfolio is consistently growing in, in value, mm -hmm. that it won't actually touch your principal million dollars, right? So you're never so taking your out any of the principal. The or your net worth. Okay. You're never taking any of it yeah. out. Um, and it's not, yeah. so it's not the idea that you're going to live another, you know, 25 years and, you know, if you don't have any, and then you put it in something really safe so that you can take 40,000 out a year and, and then you're good. Yeah. Like this is where you have to understand your situation, your risk appetite. So mm. if you are in something more conservative, you're the 4% withdrawal rate might actually be too high, right? In just regards to what, what that's producing every year. Yeah. And so this is where getting financial advisory help would really be beneficial for people. Um, it's not that popular in the fire movement to, to go to financial advisors. Costs um, money, right? I usually encourage going to someone who is like a fee-based one rather than getting off the um, your actual portfolio. And they can provide you some information on, you know, on, as long as you know what your goals are and you're clear. Um, they'll be able to give you some advice on what's the best plan for you over the long term. Because um, you also have to take into consideration that, you know, your, your situation may change where if you do have kids, they're going to move out. So your expenses are going to be lower. But as you get older, you're going to have health issues. So you have to understand that your health expenses are going to go, go up. So being able to, to plan. And it, it does take work, but it's not as hard as intimidating as people would, uh, people are, like understand it. And that once you have the understanding of the basics, 
you can actually do a lot on your own, but just bring on people onto your team to, to be able to support you. And sometimes that's through a professional. Yeah, definitely, especially if you're trying to achieve a certain goal. I mean, you know, there's no harm in, in talking to somebody. I usually quote Carl Richards in that, uh, you know, the financial advisor or financial coach is the, the thing between you and stupid. And mm-hmm. we all need that, no matter how knowledgeable we think we are. You could use some guidance so that you don't make some emotional move. Yeah, in terms of your situation, like, are you close or are you just on your way there? I'm, I'm, I'm still starting out. You're just, um, you're just so like beginning. I said, yeah. one of the one of the key things is getting your financial house in order. Um, those three specific financial shocks um, happened last year. Just, oh, that was last so year. Okay, now, I didn't realize how that was last. <laughs> that was the last year. Okay, so I'm still recovering. Um, but I'm motivated, right? And so um, we've been able to to get a good steady savings rate of 15% of my income. Um, we're a one-income family right now. So for that situation, um, once my once we're done raising our kids and being able to get them into school, um, we'll have a second source of income through my wife, right? So that'll increase our savings rate significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, so making sure that we're we're meeting our goals in the short term has been has been pretty big. Um, I do have a number which is about 1.46 million to cover about sixty thousand dollars per year. Um, if I was to get to that number, that would be great. But mm-hmm. um, I'm nowhere close to that. I would say, um, you know, I, I'm probably about the two hundred fifty thousand dollar mark and that's because you know i have some investment in in real estate so that's sort of a distorted figure but when it comes to my portfolio i want my portfolio of assets um to be at that 1.46 million dollar mark yeah and let's go back you said you didn't have a lot of uh investing education but you did get some properties when when did that happen so that happened soon after um i got married with my wife so Mm -hmm. that was about six years ago and my wife owned a condo and so she moved in with us and so we started our you know cut our teeth on that and renting that out okay yeah. and then my my dad was interested in, in um purchasing some property so he asked me if i wanted to go in with him so we were lucky enough to to, to get that and so i'm a very much a rookie a real estate investor but the benefit of the fire movement is that there's a number of people who are in, involved in rental properties and so just one thing I, I I benefited like in such a significant way was going on Facebook and joining one of these groups and just asking the dumbest questions I could to just understand all the different aspects of financial dependence. And, and there's a great community when it comes to, to being a rental property investor. And um, so I've learned a lot over the past year. I've read probably about seven or eight real estate investment books and I probably four or five like financial, financial, personal finance books. And so I'm, I'm knee deep in it. I love geeking out on it. So, so it's been a great experience. You're doing index investing and you have a couple of properties. Is there a, is there a way or recommendation? Like is real estate the faster way or is it just, you know, kind of diversify across the board and, and it'll take some time? I think diversity is key. Um, real estate is always something people should consider, but there's different paths to financial independence. And, and I think that's one of the great things about the fire community is quite diverse. Mm-hmm. It's not just one type of person. And um, I actually, the one thing that I found intimidating about the fire movement is that diversity. 
and it's it's quite decentralized and like there's no one body of authority of, of financial independence retire early so what i did is i sort of created a mini roadmap on my site and i call it the five personas fire okay. and so it just highlights the different paths that you can go for super frugalists like you know they i i created a section called the mustachians right there's yeah. mr money mustache yeah. or like <laughs> the the persona that everybody knows in the community that he's got his strong views he's philosophically stoic but he has some great information on how you can just use your existing situation to reach financial independence. And then I have different personas, like the person who's a land baron who, who loves real estate. There's the investor perspective of people who like to delve deeper into investing and, and even choosing stocks and or um, dividend paying stocks. And then there's people who like to side hustle, right? People mm-hmm. who have their nine to five, but they have a little extra on the side to, to build up their portfolio and, 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 and use that as a certain a second source of, of income. Um, and then there's for those, you know, people who are what I like to call the home economists who are managing their home and maybe staying home to raise, raise their kids. And they're able to manage their home so efficiently like a business that they're able to great, get great savings rates. There's all these different ways of getting there. And that's what I loved about it. Um, and that's what I wanted to write about is just understanding the community that way. Do you read a lot of Money Mustache uh, stuff? Uh, that was probably one of the first websites that I that I checked out. Um, and just being able to understand, there's one post of like the simple math of like getting to financial independence and he provides like a graph and chart and how long it would take for you if you had a certain savings rate. Mm-hmm. And that just blew my mind, right? No one had talked about it that way. I'm just like, if I save 15% of my income, um, I could retire in 40 years. But if I take up 25%, I can retire in 25 years, right? And so being able to to see that visualized was, was a game changer for me. Well, how old was he when he retired? Like the technically, financially independent? Fire. Technically? I'm not, I'm not sure, to be totally honest. I think for him, it was probably in his, his late 30s. Yeah, and yeah, because he still seems pretty uh, young. You know, he's uh, he was one of the first people to popularize this or make it known that it was a possibility, right? Yeah, exactly. And you know, because of his work and his blog, it's it's sort of had this reverberation across personal finance and people's lives. And uh, of course, he's anonymous. I I mean, I don't know his name. Maybe you can find it now. But I don't know his name, and I don't know your name. I mean, we know it's Fred. <laughs> but uh, can you talk about that aspect of it? Um, fire bloggers tend to be anonymous because of the retire early aspect of it. If somebody reads about that and they are your boss, they may think you're just about to go. You know, that's that's a good point. Like for, for Mr. Money Mustache, I think most people know him and they know him as Pete. But I think yeah. the reason I'm semi-anonymous is is the fact that I don't want it to make it about myself. Okay. I want to be able to provide a platform where I can tell my story, but my story is unique, but it's also common for people in regards to the emotions, the struggles, the mistakes. Like I'm, I try and be as honest as possible about my mistakes and that I'm still learning. And in regards, I, I talk to my friends and family about, you know, my blog and, you know, I have like people subscribing who are from my work and I've never shied away from talking about it. Cause once again, I don't want it to be a subject that people find hard or difficult to talk about. Um, but rather I want people to use my site just to, just to discover and like find their own path. Hmm. And so, you know, I, I wanted to be semi-anonymous just in regards to respect to my, my own family and then things like that, but also just in respect to being able to encourage people to get to know 
my situation, uh, my personal story, but just being able to, to, to provide a platform for people to learn more. I like that way of looking at anonymity. I mean, it's not because a lot of people, in addition to the not revealing it to their existing employer, the other reasons would be, you know, if you're posting, do you post income updates and stuff like that? Do you post numbers? I don't do the regular income updates. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of focusing on my, my, my whole theme is discovering the fire community, right? Sure, and yeah. some of the insights that I'm gaining. So if there is an insight that's very much about, say, my budget, then I'll talk about my budget, right? And just like the different tactics that I found out that someone said or something like the different ways to budgeting. Um, when it talks about my portfolio, I'm, I'm honest about where I'm investing. Um, I haven't done anything in regards to, to net worth per se. Um, I only bring that up if it's relevant. So a lot of people like to use their their blogs as a way of being accountable to other people, right? So it keeps them on the path. Yeah, yeah. Mine is more about discovery. So if there is if there is something specific to say, um, you know, doing my my net worth and being able to say how close am I to getting to my financial independence number, then I usually do updates that way, but not on a regular basis. You're just removing your personal your persona or your you know a, a brand or you as a person you want to just share the story yeah i want to share the story and, and insights because a lot of it um i call it like i said my financial enlightenment where you actually discover something about yourself by knowing your finances like i think that's valuable the storytelling than than just the numbers right if i just reported my net worth and i'm not providing any insights then what value am i actually adding to the community right and so i find my 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 sort of insightful posts probably my most popular and just people being re- realizing alongside with me it's like oh what does it mean to to live a life where your life is compounding right the whole com- idea of compounding interest applies to finances but it also applies to life right so if you make decisions it has a compounding effect either positively or negatively hmm. and so you know sort of bridging the finance to practical living type of perspective has allowed me to be like oh man i need to think about my decisions not just my investments but my relationships my um my skill set all, all those things because there's compounding effects because that's just that's how the world works both in a financial perspective but socially environmentally too can you give an example of that? I, I think I, I like what you're saying. What's an example of uh, compounding outside of uh, the finances? I think the most obvious one is health, hmm. right? So if you are walking every day, are you going to see the impact right away? Probably good not, point. Yeah. right? But it compounds in itself in regards you start going for a walk for 20 minutes a day and you think to yourself, well, that, that was really good experience after, you know, the 10th or 12th time. Maybe I'll walk. 30 minutes, right? Or maybe I'll start running because I know that my body can do this and your body reacts and all of a sudden you are more disciplined and it just, it, it's compounding because then all of a sudden you start getting interested in how your body works or you want to know if it's possible to join a running club. And so that compounds health wise and you won't see the results maybe 30 or 40 years from now, but the impacts are, are there and same with education. Um, and also when it comes to, to giving back to your community and sometimes the compounding interest may not have a result on you. It may have a result on other people, right? And thinking of the compounding impact of community coming together and sharing knowledge and creating friendships and doing things together, right? Right now we face problems that we're all very individualized. When we come together, 
the results are, you know, exponential and that has compounding effects um, in a positive way. Um, I love this. Yeah, concept. So that's just an example. This is, this, is, uh, this is really a great concept that people can apply to their lives, you know, in general. What I'm doing might not have immediate results and that's okay. But how do people like, how do people get this perspective? Uh, do they have to go through, do we all just have to go through the challenging bits to, to learn? Um, I think, and this is where it goes back to, I think people are built to take on challenges. Mm. And so for us, like problem solving is sort of something that we as people really like to do because then we find that we're mastering things. For me, my path started on some major challenges. How I react to those challenges is really what's important. So if you've lived a life that's relatively comfortable and there hasn't been challenges, then when a challenge does come right in, in front of you, then you may not have the skills. So don't be afraid of taking on things that aren't necessarily easy and that are challenging because it just it's like a muscle. You keep using it. So I don't think people have to go through the same path I did. They don't have to have these financial difficulties. But if people look back on their life, I'm sure there's a number of stories where at the time it was awful. Mm -hmm. But after a while, if they had, if they use that opportunity for their benefit, they'll be like, oh, my life would be so much different if I didn't go through that trial. People just don't, shouldn't be afraid or avoid challenging situations because that has positive impacts. And it's my own perspective. I think that's how we're built. That's really smart because I'm finding that we still have this society of, you know, taking risks is bad and making mistakes is bad, but that's, we just have to, we need, really need to reframe this, like do things that are uncomfortable, make mistakes so that you can learn so that when something really bad happens to you, you're not going to, it's not a disaster. You have tools, you have the skills and yeah, I think we're, that's still lacking, so Let's keep promoting this uh, this idea. I like it. Yeah. And uh, I have to ask you, I, the, the, uh, before you go, I'm assuming, since you're big on the FIRE community, that you listened to the Susie Orman interview with Paula Pant? Most definitely. <laughs> uh, that was so, so entertaining. And so, I, you know what, I, I was a contrarian on that one. A lot of people from the FIRE movement really had a negative reaction and i loved it i love the fact that she challenged the the status quo and for people who don't know who Suze is she is she's like that financial guru in the united states i don't listen to much of her show or read her books but um it, it created a great conversation and I, it's one of those challenges that we need to just embrace it's like okay someone has like you know challenged us let's let's take it on Mm -hmm. So just a, a quick summary, Paula Pant is the host of Afford Anything podcast, and she's also, she probably has achieved fire. I believe she has like multiple, you know, tens of properties all over the place. Uh, not that she intends to retire uh, ever, according to her, but she had Susie Orman on as, uh, as a guest, and she's sort of coming out of retirement, uh, and she said she hates the fire movement. And I think she... From what I've read recently, she kind of had a different interpretation of uh, of what it is, focusing more on the retiring part. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. And and this is actually a debate that's within the fire community of people who state that they want to retire early. A lot of people say they want to have the option whether they want to and when they want to, mm -hmm. right? And so for for Susie Orman, she she had a certain perspective that you won't have enough if you 
retire early, and something bad happens. So you got to be prepared for those emergency situations, be it health, be it a catastrophe. And so she was a bit extreme in her position, and I think she approached it from a lack of knowledge, and, and she eventually came to loving the FIRE movement, right? So we sort of won her over after we provided her with more information, um, but she made some good points of being able to really think through what retirement looks like and whether you are really ready, either mentally, uh, but also when it comes to an to to emergency situation and you're able to sort of go through life's challenges that way. And Yeah, so the, the way that I see it now after you know hearing what you're saying and and what she said and what uh, everyone else has been saying about uh, fire it just seems like you're trying to get to the point where you have the option to say work less or do a different job and maybe your basic expenses are covered and you don't have to worry as much and it's not necessarily about stopping at the age of 35 and going uh, to play golf for the next 70 years because, yeah, maybe you won't be able to afford that. And if something happens, you're not ready, right? Exactly. And I, and I think it's really speaking to people's desire to, to have freedom, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and that's sort of what attracted me. And just being able to think about where your finances are, reaching that, that, that number that you can, you can sort of have as a goal, but also taking the steps to, to make sure your financial house is in order and that you're, you're thinking about your future, not just in the now. And, and I think the, what I appreciated with the, the dialogue that came after that interview was the ability for people to speak about things that are even unspoken in the, in the, in the fire community is dealing with those emergencies, talking about insurance, talking about um, what you're going to do if you reach that pinnacle of being able to possibly retire early because there's other challenges after that, right, in regards to what you want to do with your life. And not very many people tackle that question, right, because we're so busy and taking the time to do that will will actually allow you to, to get to a place that you may not have thought about before. Yeah, they're focusing on the on the journey of, of saving the money or, or not spending the money and uh, building up the the net worth. And there there is less discussion about what happens when you get there. Exactly. Well, this is very uh, enlightening. I really love the idea and the, the theme of freedom that you, you're expressing and and just the idea of you know more education, more information and uh you know reaching financial independence is uh just your freedom to then do whatever it is that you want to do with the rest of your life if you do feel trapped i mean you can you can feel free earlier in life of course it's you know there's there's different ways there's different ways to do fire but there's also you don't have to do fire you can still find your freedom without it most definitely it's it's so much more than finances it's so much more than a number it's it's just being able to ask yourself the right questions and find your goals. Like what drives me is my values and my goals and, and making sure there's an alignment there. Right. So just being able to, to understand that my path has been one direction, but when it comes to finances, we all need to be comfortable with it. And we all need to be able to match it up to who we are as individuals, as families, as a community, because if there is a disagreement in regards to your values and your finances, then it's going to show up in other ways. That's totally right. Well, thanks so much, Fred. PrairieFireCanada.com. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And people can, like, can people send you an email, ask questions about anything that you've said? Yeah. Uh, if people want to reach out to me, I'm on Twitter at uh, PrairieFire underscore CA. 
I also have an uh, email you can reach me at at mr.prairiefire at gmail.com. And yeah, I'm always open to, to talking about my journey and exploring with other people. And I just, I just love talking about this stuff and, and sort of spreading the good news of, of the fire community. Well, we're, we're glad to have you in the, uh, as another member of the Canadian personal finance uh, contingent. So uh, welcome. And uh, yeah, keep, uh, keep spreading the, the good word. Thank you so much. And, and you keep doing what you're doing. I love the podcast. And uh, I'll definitely be, uh, be listening in the future. Yeah, anytime. All right. Thanks, Fred. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or however you get your podcasts. And while you're there, leave me a review. If you're already a subscriber, thanks so much. I'd love to get your feedback on this episode in my new Facebook group. To find the group, go to Facebook and search for The Personal Finance Show. Once you're approved, you'll be able to interact with me and the previous guests of the show and other fans as well. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Personal Finance Show. Next week, my guest will be Zena Amundsen, certified divorce financial analyst and author of the book, The Heart of Your Money.